The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts forever know His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Oh, the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus, The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In the first two episodes, we took pause to answer a central, pivotal question put to all mankind. We pointed out that the question posed by Jesus of Nazareth forces us all to examine the identity and claims of Jesus and to decide who he is and what our relationship to him is. Jesus' question forces us each to examine ourselves and to make a decision about our present life, and more importantly, a decision about our eternal destiny. In this third episode, we continue to examine and answer the question, Who do you say I am? As you will recall, in the previous episodes, we identified ten options to answer the question posed by Jesus. The abbreviated list of possibilities regarding the identity of Jesus are as follows. 1. A legend. 2. A wise man. 3. A philosopher. 4. A prophet. 5. A great man. 6. 
a bad man. 7. A misunderstood man. 8. A lunatic. 9. A liar. and 10. Lord. We discussed, answered, and concluded our analysis of options 1 through 9 in the previous episodes. In this episode, we continue our study of option 10, Jesus is Lord. Now, in the previous episodes, we listed and examined several specific claims, statements, and actions which Jesus made, identifying himself as Lord. As we continue, I want to focus on additional statements, claims, and actions Jesus made, which are sometimes referred to as the I Am statements. Now, while some may be familiar with what the I Am statements are, there may be others who are not. For the sake of those, let me briefly set the stage and explain so as to have everyone on the same page as we proceed. In the New Testament accounts, we find several instances where Jesus makes claims and refers to himself saying, quote-unquote, I am. In the Gospel of John, the Apostle John quotes Jesus using the Greek words, ego aime, translated, quote, I am, 24 times. Before we make a list of those examples or look at translations of ego aime, Let's pick one example where ego I may appear so as to provide context. In John chapter 8 verses 51 through 59, we find a good example where Jesus declared, quote, Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself, and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now before we move on too quickly, we need to take note of two words used by Jesus in the above encounter, which may seem innocent and innocuous when translated into English, but which have huge significance when studied in the original language and context of Scripture. At first glance, the English words would imply simple, generic self-identification or admittance to some question or fact. For example, I could ask, Are you the one who left this food on the table? The answer to which could be, I am. 
However, the original language and the totality of Scripture in context demonstrate a far greater meaning. In order to understand, let's begin with the Greek words ago and me, which are the Greek words in the above verse translated into English as I am. Strong's Concordance defines the word I may as a verb meaning I am or exist. It conveys straightforward being, existence without explicit limits. In the present tense, the context has timeless implications. As humans, we divide time into the past, the present, and the future. However, God does not measure his existence in this manner, but rather in terms consistent, which best expressed his continued and unchanging existence. Hence, I go, I may, or I am. Having said this, let's look at additional verses where Jesus uses the Greek words, I go, I may, or I am. John chapter 6, verses 35 through 58 say, quote, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should rise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son, and believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves, No man come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof, and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Unquote. John chapter 8 verse 12 quote, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Unquote. John chapter 8 verse 18 quote, I am one that beareth witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Unquote. John chapter 10, verse 7 through 11. Quote, then Jesus saith unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go out in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep." Unquote. And again in John chapter 10 verse 14, quote, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. Unquote. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, quote, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? Unquote. Finally, John chapter 14, verses 6 through 11, quote, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake." Unquote. In each of the above verses, the phrase, I go, I me, translated, I am, goes far beyond mere self-identification to being synonymous to Jesus equating himself to God. The best way to demonstrate this straight line of identification is to look at how the Septuagint uses the Greek words, I go, I me. Now, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, 
completed in the 2nd century BC by 70 Jewish scholars from which we get the name Septuagint, which means 70. The Septuagint was composed in an effort to allow a growing majority of Greek-speaking Jews to read and understand the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew. In surveying the Septuagint for the Greek words, I go, I me, we encounter an interesting correlation. In particular, as we look at Isaiah, we find a clear theme of Isaiah in chapters 40 through 55 is the proclamation and identity of the Most High God, Yahweh, who alone is God, in contrast to the so-called gods of the various peoples of the world. In Isaiah chapter 41 verse 4, chapter 43 verse 10, and chapter 46 verse 4, Isaiah positively identifies God using the Hebrew words Anihu. The Hebrew words Anihu used by Isaiah are classically translated and understood as being synonymous for the very name of God himself. Anihu in Isaiah is always attributed to Yahweh. It is a solemn statement or assertion that only he can properly make. If anyone else spoke these words, it would be a sign of presumptuous pride or an attempt to claim equality with Yahweh or displace him. When the Septuagint translates the Hebrew words Anihu, the Septuagint uses the Greek words I go, I me, to do so. Further, in each case where the phrase Anihu appears at the end of the clause, it is punctuated in the Septuagint, exactly the same as seven of the examples found in John. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, we find an exchange between Moses and God at the famous burning bush encounter. When God calls Moses and appoints him to go to the Israelites who are enslaved in Egypt, Moses asks God, quote, Who shall I say has sent me? Unquote. Essentially, Moses asks God to identify himself and provide his name so that Moses can in turn give God's name to Israel. The dialogue from Exodus reads as follows, quote, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, quote, I am who I am, unquote. Thus shall you say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you, unquote. In the Hebrew language, the letters constituting the name of God are Yad, He, Vav, and He, from which we get the proper name of God, which is translated, quote, unquote, I am. These four Hebrew letters are then transliterated into the English to get the letters YHWH, which is called the Tetragrammaton, meaning four letters. These four letters are then variously translated with different sounds in an effort to pronounce the divine name of God, sometimes rendered as Jehovah or Yahweh. 
While there is some debate, the Septuagint renders Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 with the Greek words, I go, I me, as the name of God. It is again these same Greek words which John, who would have been familiar with the Hebrew and Greek of Exodus and Isaiah, chooses to repeatedly use the words, I go, I me, as being spoken by Jesus in the exact same contexts at Exodus and Isaiah to identify Jesus as being God. Just to top off and finalize the picture, let's look at one last incident. In preparation, one last thing to remember is that because God's name was viewed by Orthodox Jews as being sacred, it was forbidden to pronounce or write the name of God. As a result, whenever Orthodox Jews read the Torah or write about God, many Jews use the word Adonai, meaning Lord, or other such titles to avoid pronouncing or mispronouncing God's true name, which is viewed as being holy. Again, when Jesus of Nazareth came upon the scene, he began fulfilling prophecy, working miracles, and talking about the kingdom of God being present on earth. In several instances, people began to question who Jesus was, realizing that Jesus was different. In one case, which is unique, we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke who all record an encounter between Jesus and the high priest of the Jewish people at Jesus' trial. During this trial, several false witnesses and other accusers were brought forward in an effort to elicit inaccurate statements and or evidence that Jesus had broken the law. Jesus had not been speaking or answering questions, so after many failed attempts, the high priest became frustrated and asked Jesus questions himself in an effort to either expose him or denounce him. Eventually, the high priest asked Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verse 61, quote, Do you not answer what is it that these men are testifying against you? Unquote. But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Now pay attention because the high priest asked a very pointed and direct question of pivotal importance. In the Greek, the high priest asked Jesus, In English, the high priest is asking Jesus, quote, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Unquote? Just so we are clear, the phrase, quote, Blessed One, unquote, refers to God. Others, as in this case, use descriptive terms of God, such as Most High or Blessed One, to refer to God. So in this case, the high priest was asking Jesus a question which he, and everyone else, including Jesus, clearly understood as this, quote, Are you the Christ, i.e., the Messiah, the anticipated deliverer, the Son of God? Unquote. Notice Jesus' answer to the question recorded in Mark chapter 14, verse 62. In Greek, Jesus replies, quote, Ego I me, unquote, which means I am. He goes on to say, 
Quote, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven, unquote. The response by the high priest in verse 63 and 64 is instructive. Quote, then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What thank ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death, unquote. Lest we come away from this incident too casually, the exact Greek words in Mark translated clothes more literally mean tunic. This indicates that the high priest Caiaphas tore his inner vestment, which was illegal according to Mosaic law, unless the high priest was formally pronouncing the capital crime blasphemy against someone. As we conclude this episode, thus far in this episode, we have looked extensively at the various options available to answer the question posed by Jesus, namely, who do you say that I am? We have looked at the numerous claims, statements, and actions made by Jesus and those who lived and associated with Jesus closely. We identified ten possibilities to answer the question posed. Having studied the ten possibilities, we discovered that even the majority of secular sources admit that Jesus was a historic personality. Thus, we eliminated option number one, the contention that Jesus was a myth or a legend. We saw clearly, based upon Jesus' own statements and actions recorded in Scripture, that Jesus claimed to be equal to God in nature, essence, power, and authority, on many occasions. This was so much an issue and problem for Jesus that the Jews sought to stone Jesus on several occasions. Eventually, the Jewish authorities captured Jesus and brought him to trial and had him crucified because of these claims. As a result of these claims and facts, while Jesus may have been one of, if not the wisest men, philosophers, prophets, and greatest men who ever lived, at the same time, people who are wise, philosophical, prophetic, and great do not repeatedly lay claim to being equal to God while maintaining their status as mere wise men, philosophers, prophets, and great men. The fact is that when mortal men make claim to being Messiah, Lord, and God, these claims polarize any man from being wise, philosophical, prophetic, or good unless we consider that person as either a lunatic, a liar, or they are, in fact, Lord. Consequently, we see that options 2, 3, 4, and 5 i.e. that Jesus was merely very wise, a philosopher, a prophet, and or a good man, combined with Jesus making claims to be Messiah, Lord, and God, are claims which are eliminated given the fact Jesus made claims to be God and cannot be true given the claims unless Jesus is Messiah, Lord, and God, or unless Jesus was a lunatic and or a liar. We next saw that the allegations that Jesus was an evil or bad man, or that Jesus was misunderstood by others, or that he misunderstood himself, are claims that are not only mutually contradictory, but are self-refuting. 
None of these claims are consistent with the clear historical record by Jesus and those who knew him. Once we narrow the options down to lunatic, liar, or lord, I would draw the listener's attention to the study of prophetic probability detailed in the previous episode entitled, Jesus the Messiah Has Come. During this episode, we saw that by taking 48 specific prophecies out of about 300 prophecies concerning Messiah, that the odds of any one person in history fulfilling just 48 prophecies by random chance reached the statistical level of virtual impossibility. We further found out that historically, the only person who in fact fulfilled not only the 48, but all 300 was Jesus of Nazareth. Now with this in mind, let's include this factor into the equation of trying to decide upon our remaining options of whether Jesus was a lunatic, liar, or lord. For example, how does any one man lie about 48 prophecies written and documented dozens to hundreds of years before that man in question is born? In the case of Jesus, how does Jesus plant numerous prophecies surrounding his birth, life, and death, and then make sure that his life fulfills these prophecies from birth till death? What hope does Jesus have of credibly lying about something he had little, if any, control over? The same argument holds true for Jesus being a lunatic. If we assume Jesus was completely or partially insane, no matter how crazy Jesus is, he still can't manufacture prophecies before he is born and then fulfill them from birth till death. Being crazy doesn't afford anyone special powers to fulfill prophecy as a baby or as a child. We also saw that the details of Jesus' life, claims, statements, and actions, particularly during his six trials, gave ample opportunity for someone to make the legal allegation that Jesus was a lunatic, i.e. he was insane, and thus he should not be responsible for the criminal acts which the Jews and or the Romans were making. One simple allegation that Jesus was a lunatic or a liar by a friend or foe to the court would have been sufficient to prevent Jesus' conviction and crucifixion. Likewise, if Jesus was simply a liar and charlatan pretending to be the Messiah for some reason, all he had to do was to admit to the right person that he was in fact lying, and chances were he would have been spared the gruesome ordeals of his trials, conviction, crucifixion, and eventual death. When we look at the totality of the circumstances involved, options 8 and 9, which try to explain away Jesus and his claims as being a result of his insanity or his being a liar, are both deficient and they both run contrary to the evidence on hand. Having said and demonstrated this, some will still revert to their basic priori bias programming which says one or more of options 1 through 9 must be correct because option 10 can never be correct. In essence, for many, 
The issue is not that the arguments have been deficient to disprove the viability of options 1 through 9. The issue for many is their inability to consider option 10 as being true, i.e. Jesus is Lord, since this would require violating their intellectual prime directive which says there can be no God. The sad truth and reality is that within the argument of God versus no God, whom do men say I am versus who do you say I am, there will forever be a dividing line between the two answers until God settles the argument in eternity. For the present, skeptics, atheists, and secular men throw out challenges to quote-unquote prove that God exists or to quote-unquote prove that Jesus was Messiah, Lord, and God. Although atheists and skeptics are eager to demand proof, they rarely, if ever, are willing and able to be specific as to what proof would suffice to change their heart. When atheists and skeptics do elaborate, they claim they would only believe if God appeared before their eyes and demonstrated some grand miracle which only God could perform. Yet there were many skeptics who existed in Jesus' time. They saw Jesus. They saw Jesus heal the blind, the lame, the dumb. They saw Jesus heal lepers, the sick, and the dying. They saw Jesus turn water to wine, walk on water, feed thousands with a boy's lunch. They saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw Jesus fulfill the scriptures one after the other with precision. They heard Jesus' words of life and his claims to divinity. Finally, they saw Jesus die, and many saw him rise again the third day, just as he prophesied he would. Yet, despite all of their first-hand experiences with Jesus, many of these skeptics still denied Jesus, cursed him, blasphemed him, or ignored him. Others fell to their knees and worshipped him as Messiah, Savior, Lord, and God. What all of this forever demonstrates is that proof is not the issue. Not then, not now. The issue is man's heart and his individual willingness or rebellion to accept the evidence and proof which is already there all around him every day. Despite ample proof, ample testimony, and ample evidence, the atheist and the skeptic continue their reverse intellectual shell game. They continue to attempt to take Jesus' divinity and ignore hide, deny, and denounce the truth of this reality, while simultaneously they endlessly use their tired, sleight-of-hand, red-herring arguments like empty shells in their shell game to confuse, obfuscate, and suppress the truth and the proof they demand. But in the final analysis, Jesus' question rings out to all men from the beginning of time till the time he asked the question during his earthly ministry. Jesus' question will continue to ring out until that moment when God the Father determines that time is up and the moment has arrived to grade every man's test and every man's heart to determine 
who has passed and who has failed to correctly answer the question, who do you say that I am? Father, I pray according to your perfect will, that by your love and grace, that those who have listened will also have heard and will believe. As we ask the question now, who do you say I am? I pray that there might be those who will have the answer revealed to them now and will be able to once and for all say with confidence and faith that you, Yeshua, Jesus, are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If so, we thank you that we, like Peter, will also hear the words, Blessed are you. We ask you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening.